guys. We turned out okay. The Modern Parent's Guide to Old School Parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. Welcome, everybody. I have to say, today's episode feels a little subversive to me. We got the school rules, my school rules for the five rules, actually, to make this a great school year for your child. And it feels a little subversive because these five ways are not something you're going to hear from schools. At least I don't think so. Not any schools around that I know of um, for your young child. And I should, I should say, I mean, I know you guys know this because you have young kids, but these are especially for say third grade and under, like that's, that's the, that's where my area of expertise is. Um, that's where I've spent my time in schools as a teacher. Um, and as a preschool teacher as well, I, I was in a school system for a long time in a, in a public preschool program. And, um, it feels subversive because, you know, what do you hear about when you, what do you think about when you hear what's, what do schools want from you, right? They want, your child to uh, test well, and they want your child to kind of fit perfectly into the mold of school. It doesn't matter if your child uh, wants to run around or wants to sing or wants to, I don't know, just can't, just can't, can't stay still. It's not uncommon for a four or five year old child to not be able to stay still. Uh, and, and that's okay, but schools, teachers, administrators, people in schools who, you know, admittedly deal with many children at a time, they, I, I think, wouldn't necessarily want, wouldn't necessarily think it's okay to have, you know, kids going in 25 different directions or whatever. And I, I guess I don't either. As a former teacher, though, I do feel like there's a vibe of let's clamp down on this misbehavior. In fact, I actually have a story to share as we get into these five rules for making a great year for your child. Um, and I think I would be a better teacher having now been a parent. But um, I wasn't a parent when I when I met this little boy. And um, let's see, I don't know, what are we going to call him? We can't call him his real name. I almost just said it. <laughs> let's call him John. So Young John arrives in preschool one one year, and he was uh, he was very loud. He was um, he tended towards angry. Like if something made him unhappy, he would get immediately. He would lose his temper. He would push kids. He would. Uh, he was just a a, a loud, uh, boisterous kid. John was. And he wasn't always, I should say too, he wasn't always violent. Um, in fact, he was only violent, I, I would say once or twice. And it was, it was not adult violence. Like it wasn't really aggressive, whatever, but there were some pushing, you know, events and, and stuff like that. Uh, he would, he would take things from kids. And, uh, I, I think I was afraid of his boisterousness a little bit, um, and so I, I made it my mission, my personal mission to do what I, what I think of as unbouncing. So I took John and at the beginning of the year, I said, okay, here's a kid who is, I'm at war with this kid. 
And if he's like Tigger, then it's my job to unbounce him. I'm going to be rabbit to his Tigger, right? Who likes rabbit? (laughs) I mean, really? (laughs) Rabbit is probably my least favorite character in all of the Winnie the Pooh because he's so stuffed shirtish and obnoxious. And I guess for whatever reason that year, I decided that I had to be rabbit and I was going to unbounce Tigger. And I, I feel like I, I, I did that by the end of the year, you know, John was a boy who knew how to sit quietly and knew how to, uh, keep his voice down and, and just, you know, he'd absorbed the rules of school, but they, in retrospect, were not the rules that I wished I had taught him. Um, I would much rather thinking about it now that I've got my own my own boys who've both gone through as many boys and girls do the this kind of uh losing their temper um stage being loud um I don't I don't want to unbounce them and I'm sad that I was the person who unbounced John who who basically helped him turn off his impulses in childhood and obey me and it really was obedience. I mean, he he didn't like it. He didn't like to sit on his hands during circle time or uh I mean, in some of the th- I'm almost embarrassed to to tell about some of the things that I that I put this kid through. Like I would humiliate him, for example, if if he was having if he was not able to listen at circle time, which was a tough time for him. It's really hard when kids have to listen to other kids and let other kids take turn at four, three, four, five years old. That's a very difficult thing to do. And I would send him away in a humiliating way from circle time. I would say, basically, you don't deserve to sit here with us. Isn't that, I mean, I'm so mortified. I've got goosebumps thinking about that. So I really did. I, I, I indoctrinated this boy into what I thought that school should be. And uh, I wish I had, there are lots of other ways as I've learned over the years of, you know, after, after that year and also in other, in in like years of preschool, um, years of being a parent, there are lots of ways to support a child's uh, character. You know, if it's a boisterous child, if it's, if, if it's a, a child who tends towards having a temper, there are ways to help that child out of those behaviors that do not involve humiliation and indoctrination, like a negative kind of indoctrination. And, uh, and so John, you know, you don't even know who you are. That's not even your real name. But if you remember (laughs) being in a preschool classroom, and now you're, you're like a grown up and you're listening to this, um, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did that because I, 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 and I guess what I would say too, is that I learned from that experience and I don't do that anymore. I, I'm a much, much better teacher and parent now because, because of my experience with you. So John, you taught me that tiggers are not to be unbounced. They are to be nurtured and loved. And, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I really got off on a, on a little bit of a tangent there, but I think it was an important one. Uh, today's podcast are five rules to have a great year for your young child to make it a great year for him or her. This gets into the idea that sometimes we need to ask for things for our kids. If you feel that your child needs something, for instance, if John's mom had spoken up and said, wow, that we're going about this the wrong way. I really wish that she had done that. And then maybe uh, I could have, I could have done something different. 
so getting these rules get into kind of recognizing that if something isn't going well, then it's our job as the parent to speak up about it. Not not to our friends and our and our family, you know, the people who can't do anything about it. It's our responsibility to speak up for our kids in the way that in, in, in a place that will do something that will have an effect, like for instance, at a parent teacher conference or with the superintendent or a principal. Um, so let's jump into these rules. Rule number one is that school exists to help your child. It's not the other way around. We often feel like, like we're in trouble if our kid doesn't fit the mold somehow. So if I don't know, like Max, when Max was in school, when he was a preschooler and a kindergarten, he really didn't fit the mold. He had, he had very, he was a very dreamy child. And as a, as a young adult, that's turned into a child with these most just amazing ideas. He's got such a strong, positive character. Um, he, he, he did not fit the, the kindergarten mold, however. And, um, so I felt, I went around feeling like, oh my God, this is my fault. And like, I, I felt that I was being blamed somehow for this classroom, not moving at the clip it should, um, that kind of thing. And so it's, it's not that way. It's the other way around. School exists to help your child. Your child does not exist to, I don't know, uh, your child does not exist to help that school with a, with a good test score or something like that. Uh, you need to get into the mindset. We as parents need to get into the mindset that school is, is there your, you know, your child, your child's creativity and intelligence and uh, all the social emotional characteristics that make up a young child. School is there to nurture those and to help your child find their passions. And what, I mean, it's not very, like you ask any five-year-old, what do you love? And they're going to tell you immediately, right? But that goes away, doesn't it? By the time a kid is in second, third, fourth grade, they're, they're not raising their hand when you say, you know, who made that picture? Or what do you love to do? Do you love to draw? I mean, you just, you get that a lot more in the younger grades than you do in the upper grades. And I think as a, as parents, if we get into the mindset that the school is there to serve our children, just like the police are there to protect and serve, right? It's not the other way around. If we get into the mindset that school is there to nurture our child, then that's a much more helpful mindset. And it really gets into rule number two. So rule number one is school exists to help your child. I know I've said that like 10 times <laughs> in two minutes. Sorry. Rule number two is think about what you want your child to get out of her school year. Like your goals for your child may not be the same goals that a school has for your child, right? I mean, I think one of one of my biggest fears about schools and, and every time I hear, there are so many negative things that are reported about schools, obviously, it, you know, and, and a lot of them have to do with like, what are the test scores? What do the test scores show? The test scores show this. It's all kind of an aggregate. Like your child isn't a kid. He's a number, right? And um, I don't think that I go into, I didn't, I never went into the school year thinking, I want my child to be the best number he can be. Um, I, my goals for, for school, for my boys were always things like, I want them to make friends. I want them to 
feel like they're part of a community, a positive culture. I want them to pursue their passions. I want that if they love dinosaurs, then I want them to be able to, you know, learn more about dinosaurs, spend time thinking and talking and reading about dinosaurs. And there is a way to do that. I mean, so, you know, I see you all rolling your eyes out there. What if the other kid next to him wants to study ballet dancing, right? Well, a good teacher, and I, I am one, so I know this to be true. A good teacher takes what the kids love and focuses their learning on that. And a good teacher makes a community out of their class and makes their classroom into a community. Uh, I think, I mean, this gets into so much, right? Rule number two, think about what you want your child to get out of his or her school year. Um, like, especially at these young ages, we're not looking for them to be able to do algebra or, um, or speak French unless they're French, of course, which is, or, you know, unless they're bilingual already or something like that in school, I, I saw this often as a teacher and I saw it as a parent. I see it as a parent. We are forcing academics at way too young an age. It used to be when I was a graduate student, the idea was, you know, by the time they're done with kindergarten, we want them to know their ABCs. <laughs> and I mean, if you think about, you know, your child that goes off to kindergarten this year, they have all these, I think, absolutely outrageous ideas for what kids academically should know. And they're doing, they're going about teaching these academics in a way that sucks for kids. You can't, you can't make a child learn to read before that child is ready to learn to read. And if your child isn't reading at age five or even six, it's okay. Like it, there should not be a red flag raised about that. I, that, I mean, that's, that's my opinion, but it's a growing opinion and it's that a lot of people are having. And we all feel, I think people who feel this way believe that the, and this is a lot of academics, uh, academicians, people who teach children, um, the pendulum has swung too far in this direction of accountability for five-year-olds or whatever. Um, we're, we're doing this too young. So Please, when you think about the goals you want your child to get out of her school year or his school year, make those goals be almost anything but academics. And if they are about academics, make the goal be that that your child is learning academics in a way that is fun, with games, with, um, with stories, with acting, with, with, with anything almost except for sitting at a desk with a worksheet. So that's, I think that's really important. Rule number two is, uh, they're all really important, but I think rule number two is one of the most important ones because we don't generally feel like you don't, you know, you think when you're at work and somebody says, your boss says, okay, what are your goals for this year? Like you formulate a high level adult goals for, for what you want to get out of your next year of productive working, right? We don't generally think about little kids and and what are they going to get out of their school year? Uh, But I think if you if you were able to do this, if you could think what you know, what do you want your child to get out of the school year? I think you're setting everybody up for a better year because because you have you have a parameter, you've set a goal 
or you've set a parameter. And if, if something's wrong about that, if, if your child is not meeting that goal, so say your goal is that your child will learn how to uh, stand up for herself or how, that he'll learn to resolve conflicts, um, which are things that, that people have to do all the time from when they're very small to, you know, when they're ever out in life. Um, and you, you don't see that happening. In other words, you see that your child is being taunted or bullied, or you see um, that your child is, uh, you know, maybe an aggressor, maybe your child is doing the pushing, but the teacher is sort of throwing up her hands and saying, oh, there's nothing I can do about this, or he'll grow out of it or something like that. Um, You now have, you can say, listen, one of my goals for this year is that my child will learn to resolve conflicts in a, in a nonviolent way. And when you throw up your hands and you say to me, I can't help with that, they're going to grow out of it. That's not achieving this goal. So let's, let's figure out how we can work together on this. So that's rule number two. Rule number three is that tests should be the dead last thing on your mind. Do you want to help your child do better on tests? Then you need to drop the idea of testing at least until they are Uh, certainly not in kindergarten. I would argue not first grade, not second grade. Um, Leave the test prep to the teachers. So obviously everybody is concerned with tests. Tests give you your funding. Tests, um, you know, there are bragging rights associated with tests. I'm not, I'm, you know what, I guess I am. I am almost completely dead set against tests, the way that they are being used in our society. I think that knowing where you are and what you need to do to, to, to achieve your goal, like how, how, how much you know now versus how much you, you want to end up knowing, I think that's a great use for a test. But it is not, you know, tests should not determine the, the amount of money that extra that a teacher gets in a year. Tests should not determine how much funding a school gets or does not get. Uh, I think, I mean, as a former teacher, those things make me absolutely sick. I mean, they really do. And if you, (laughs) if you want to help me see your side of, uh, if you disagree with me and you want to help me understand how tests could be valuable in these ways, please email me. I would love to hear from you. And I would, but I would say, I would like to hear from you in a respectful way. I mean, you know, getting on Twitter and saying, oh, God, this person's a dummy or something like that. That's really not going to help your cause. (laughs) Right? Because, you know, we need to be able to have a respectful dialogue so that we can understand each other's um, perspective. That's what life is all about, in my mind. So leave the test prep to the teachers, you know, they're going to do it in school. Um, And so if tests are the last thing on your mind, then what that means is it frees you up at home to nurture your child's creativity, to, um, to, to help your child really understand and appreciate what they love and, and get them out doing what they love. You gotta, you know, screens have to go off sometimes. Uh, if, if, we could do a whole, God, we should do a whole show on screens because I think that the devices that we have can be really awesome and they can, we can find amazing things to do with our, with our kids. As a matter of fact, um, 
if you go to www.weturnedoutok.com and on that front page, click the button to get the nine and a half key resources for old school parents, some of those resources are, uh, are on screens. You'll find them on screens. Why the half? Why nine and a half? Well, you'll have to download them to go find out. <laughs> I hope you do it. Um, they're free. It's a present that I made for you guys. It's, um, it's nine and a half key resources that will make you a better parent a happier parent, a more relaxed parent, an old school parent. So yeah, leaving the test prep to the teachers. And then when you're when you have that time to spend with your child, making it about what do you love to do together? What's fun? Um, what what turns your kids crank? I mean, that's really what it's all about. So that's what rule number three is. And I have a story to tell about rule number three regarding rule number three. Uh, you know that a red flag has been raised when your child's teacher, second grade teacher, compares mathematics to toilet cleaning. And I really feel like uh, this just upset me so much. So uh, when Max was in second grade, this not coincidentally, perhaps was the year that we decided we'd had enough and we pulled him out. Um, this teacher actually was an awesome teacher. She was an amazing teacher. She's, I hope she still is. Um, she built a real community. She, she, her classroom was a true community and she, she was just incredibly loving and wonderful and giving. And this one day came where she, so, so we decided to homeschool because when Max was in kindergarten, first grade and second grade, he, he really had like PTSD from from school. Uh, he, he was diagnosed with migraine at age six. He, he lost sleep, you know, all year, he would have stomach aches, he wouldn't eat his lunch. He was he just, you know, the image that came to my mind at the time was that he was falling down a well in slow motion. And I could see him looking up at me and trying to grab my hand as he was falling down this well. And, it, and he just couldn't couldn't get it. It was terrifying. He had these night terrors that he didn't even remember them, but he had them every night of the school year, like minus 10 nights. And every night we would, Ben and I would be out of our beds and in his room before we were awake because it sounded like he was being murdered in his bed. I mean, real serious, you know, uh, anxiety over academics. And I think what made me sad and frustrated was that this amazing teacher couldn't see that she couldn't see what was causing him because he started having problems in school too. I mean, he would, he was, he would burst into tears. He was, you know, getting made fun of. He, he felt utterly overwhelmed by the academics, particularly spelling and math. And one day, um, he came home saying that his teacher had said, well, you know, I know you don't like to do math, but I don't like to clean my toilet, but it's still something that I have to do. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like you can't compare math to toilet cleaning <laughs> because math should and could be awesome. Toilet cleaning is generally not awesome. Maybe it's a satisfying to get that job done. You know, maybe you can sing Maxwell's Silver Hammer while you're cleaning the toilet, whatever. Um, you can make it a little bit more fun, but mathematics at its core is amazing fun. It's mind blowing. And what I love is that as a 15 year old, 
he's he you know he's it was before he was 15 but i would say in the last three four five years he's really come to see that mathematics and toilet cleaning are the diametric opposites of each other and so when a teacher says well you have to do this even though you hate it uh that's not a recipe for success and i believe that tests bring out that they're much more about your duty and and you know um, about your future and, and what these tests are going to mean, these test scores are going to mean for you and for your school and all this kind of stuff. At this young age, again, this is for young. I understand the need for testing as you get older. I, I get it. Um, but when they're older, they're, they're certainly more mentally prepared. When they're young like this, just don't drop the tests. I mean, certainly as a parent, drop thinking about the test. Let the parents worry. Let the teachers, I mean, worry about test prep. You foster your child's creativity and enthusiasm and light and love. And that's rule number three. So to recap so far, we've had rule number one, school exists to help your child. Rule number two, think about what you want your child to get out of his school year. Rule number three, tests should be the last thing on your mind as a parent and then of a, as a parent of a young child. And then rule number four, subject matter matters. Yes, it does. Young kids, like say third grade and below, need to learn about stuff they care about. And, and I have a story to illustrate this. Again, it's not, <laughs> so a lot of my stories about, about my experiences with my children's teachers, with my son's teachers, are not good stories. Um, but that's, that's, that was my one single situation. And, and, and actually, I'm telling this particular story because you have the power as a parent to change this. And that's what rule number five is going to be about. So my little Max, uh, we, we bring him to meet the teacher and we, 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 we were moving, he was moving to a new school. I mean, like he was just starting school. So they, he, we got to have a little kindergarten tour and, uh, actually, we didn't meet the teacher that day. We met the principal and the principal had either that or possibly that his kindergarten teacher did a really neat thing, which I just love. She sent a packet to each of her kindergarten children. So a, a really exciting packet came in the mail and it was a letter and it was, um, you know, some just some fun stuff for, for my Max. And one of the things was a place to draw and write, you know, like one of those big sort of empty squares with some lines beneath it. And the question at the top was, what do you want to learn about this year? And my Max was so passionate about dinosaurs at the time. That was all he cared about. It was all he could talk about. He would love to read about them. He was watching like, um, oh, I forget what it's called. Um, there's a show, we can now probably watch it on Netflix called something like the age of dinosaurs or in the time of the dinosaurs i can't remember but it was like a it was a series and it was like it was a it was a sort of david attenborough kind of person who supposedly has gone to the land of the dinosaurs like gone to the time of the dinosaurs in his little jeep and his little australian accent or whatever and um he's there looking at the dinosaurs and he's helping you understand about the dinosaurs i forget what that was called that was such a great show too anyway if you wanted to know anything about dinosaurs, Maxwell could tell you. And he he treated this piece of paper like gold. He he painstakingly drew. He was not a kid who he still isn't, but he's getting better. He's he's not a person who loves to write or draw. Um he 
sometimes has felt like he has to or like I mean because he's moved by something so that he would write about it or draw or whatever and sometimes especially now um he's he's writing research papers and he's writing essays and that sort of thing so he's um he's come a long way baby but then like the idea of him like voluntarily writing or drawing about something was it blew me away and so he drew this wonderful picture and he wrote uh, I forget exactly what it was, but it was something along the lines of, I love dinosaurs. I want to learn about dinosaurs, something like that. And we sent it into school or he went, he sent it on his first day. And then a couple of weeks go by and it's parents night. So we go in to meet the teacher and all the kids have put up these, all the kids sent in their, um, their little pieces of paper about, you know, what do you want to learn about this year? And they're lining the walls on the way into the classroom. And there's, kids who want to learn about anything you can think of the 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 stars um cooking um bugs animals how to swim i mean like you name it ballet you name it and it was it was there and i just had so much hope i was so excited because i thought wow what she's done is she's figured out that she you know if she asks the kids what they want to learn about now she's got like a preset menu of stuff to teach them, right? Because they're going to be learning about things that they love to learn. And now as a person with a master's degree in early childhood education, I was thrilled on parents night because I really, I loved the idea that here's a teacher who, who really, you know, she's bucking the system. If the system says you have to sit these children down and you have to make them do worksheets and she's saying, no, thank you. I'm, I'm working this out in a different way because our school system is is like that i mean it, it certainly it was at the time i hope maybe it's changed now but um it's a very traditional school system in the sense of you sit down you shut up and you do your work uh and and that obviously didn't suit every child it certainly didn't suit my child so i was thrilled that night and then as time went on and they're learning about things that were not on the walls i guess put it that way um they're learning about yeah, I can't even really remember. I think I think there were subjects, like as in there were sort of, you know, we're going to learn about the Olympics or we're going to learn about, but there weren't any of the things that the kids had wanted to learn about. There wasn't a unit, for instance, on dinosaurs or on uh, dance or on, um, you know, learning to swim or anything like that. And what the uh, simultaneously what happened was was Max got sadder and sadder and sadder and more and more behind as the year went went on and I know how can you be behind in kindergarten right but he did he managed to do that and I think it was just the way that the class was organized and it was but you know we get maybe three quarters of the way through the year and I and I think back to those pictures and I remember thinking oh my god like she didn't she needed something to put on the walls she didn't care what they wanted to learn about other than the fact that their pictures were cute and how far is this one along in terms of writing and, oh, I'm going to have to work more with that one or whatever. Um, it just made me so sad that you would have all of this, all of these ways of, of getting, of reaching into the heart of your children and really nurturing them and you drop it, you, you ignore it, you don't, you don't use it. It just made me so sad. So subject matter matters. What your child you can't say you can't sit your child down and say, "Okay, Sonny, we're going to learn how to write the letter B." Um, unless you make it a game or unless their favorite thing in the world is is, you know, bees like honeybees or something like that. You have to find a way to get 
to reach into the, as I said before, to reach into their hearts and, 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 and support that little heart and, and help them satisfy their curiosity about things they want to know about. Let them ask the questions and you can do this at home. You probably won't get it in school, uh, but you can do it at home unless, unless rule number five comes into play. But if there, if the time in school cannot be spent nurturing this, their passions, then as a, as a parent, I, I feel like we have the responsibility to make that happen for our kids. And we do, right? We do every day because we, because what you have a really unhappy kid if you don't. <laughs> so, um, so that's rule number four. And rule number five is this. If you see something missing, ask for it. If you want something for your child that you do not see happening in his classroom, you must respectfully ask for it and you must expect results. Like, I think this is something that I didn't know at the time. And if I, believe me, if I, if I was doing this again, if I was going through this whole rigmarole all over again, I might not even have ended up homeschooling because I bloody well would have asked for, uh, I would have asked some questions about, you know, how are things done? How could they be done differently regarding my child? Um, and I think this brings up a concept that I absolutely love. So Dr. Bob Nolly in episode eight, we talked about the four C's of leadership. Dr. Bob Nolly has this amazing podcast called the Labrador Leadership Podcast. And it's all about leaders in the work in the workplace, how you can be a leader in your workplace and what that really means. Like what do leaders do? What are the best leaders and, and, um, how can you lead even if you are not in a leadership position? Cause it'll, if you do, it'll make everybody's lives easier. Believe me. So the four C's of leadership are these, they are calm, confident, courageous, and consistent. And when you think about asking for something that you don't see happening in your child's classroom, think about using these four C's of leadership. Say your child is being bullied. Say he comes home a couple days a week and he's crying and he's crying because people have been making fun of him for crying. And you talk to the teacher and the teacher says, well, we'll, we'll do what we can. We really understand your, your situation and we'll do what we can. And nothing happens and nothing happens. And you're, you know, it's, it may be hard to stay calm in a situation like that. You see your child falling down a well. <laughs> How can you stop this? So I would say that, that, that what you can do is you can calmly and confidently make a meeting with your teacher, with your child's teacher, and you can say, okay, we are still, this is what we are seeing at home. This is what my child is saying. This is what she's saying. Please, you know, what, how can we work together here as a team? And you got to be calm because nobody is going to deal with a person who's ranting. And you've got to be confident that your idea is the right idea. If I feel like this happened to me so many times where I would be like, I would say, well, what about this? And the teacher would say, oh, that's not how we do it. And I would say, okay, like knowing in my heart that whatever the situation was, it was not right for my son, but still not having the confidence to say, wait a minute, I disagree. I respectfully disagree. Calmly and confidently saying that I think would have helped a lot. And that takes courage, right? That's one of the four C's of leadership. You have to be courageous to do this. When, when we think about, I, start, I started off at the beginning talking about when you have to ask for something for yourself 
it can be really difficult. It can be very difficult to stand up and say, I deserve this. I need this. This is something that will make me okay, right? It's much easier though to do it for your child. So if you frame it in this way of, um, you know, I'm seeing these behaviors in my child and what are we going to do about them together? That takes courage, but you have that courage in you because he's your child. She's your daughter. You know what they need. And so you can summon that courage from inside you. And then the consistency comes in with, you know, one meeting is great. Oh, you know, Mrs. Culp, we'll do everything we can to make sure that your child gets what gets what he needs. Um, and then and then weeks go by and you don't hear anything else and nothing appears to have changed. In other words, your child is still having these problems. Then it's the time for follow up. You have to be able to say, hey, remember this problem that we talked about a month ago or six weeks ago? or two months ago, whatever, we're still seeing it. We need to, we need to figure something else out. We got to try something more. And, and those are the four C's of leadership and they will help you through just about anything in your, in your marriage, in your dealing with, you know, customer service representatives on the phone or in a store with schools, with, with just about anything you can think of. If you can be calm, confident, courageous, and consistent, you are going to get results. And what place is more important for you to get results than in your child's, your young child's early education? Until they're older, of course, then that, then that part of their education becomes important. But I actually have another C that I would like to add to these. So I think of the five C's of parental leadership. And the fifth one is community. Because if schools exist to serve our children, not the other way around, right? Rule one. <laughs> And as parents, if we see something we don't like, if we think of ourselves as existing in a community, then as a part of that community, we have the right to ask for change. And I'm, I'm getting on my soapbox here. Um, not that I haven't been on it all day, but school is not just about academics. School is about so much more than academics. It's, and if it is about academics, which of course it is, if it's done in the right way, then the academics become part of the community. They become part of everything else. They become a positive, fun thing to do. Not an, oh, I got to go clean my toilet now thing to do, right? Uh, school is about forming friendships and allow, you know, being vulnerable and, and being able to get what you need. If you need a hug, if you need a break, <laughs> If you need another night to read to finish this book or something like that, I mean, school is about, it can't just be about academics because then it's not a school, it's a prison. So that's, those are my five. Uh, just to recap, we got rule number one, school exists to help your child. Rule number two, formulate some goals for what you want your child to get out of her school year or his school year. I have written down hers, which is why I keep saying that. Rule number three, tests should be the last thing on your mind. Let them worry about, worry about the tests. You worry about fostering all the other great stuff going on in your kid's head. Rule number four, subject matter matters. If you can engage your child in something that they love, you're going to get much better results. Rule number five, if you see something missing, ask for it. So those are they. These are they. <laughs> what do you think? How will you get your child what she or he needs this school year? If you, if you utilize this, if you are, if you're 
you think I'm nuts? I'd really love to hear from you. Um, please share. Go to weturnedoutok.com slash contact. You can find me on Instagram. I am loving Instagram, by the way, so much. It's super fun. on Inst- I get Instagram in a way I haven't gotten other um, forms of social media. So got a really active community over there. We turned out okay is my Instagram handle. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Stone Age Techie. I'm on Facebook at Karen Lock Cope. Please friend me. There's also the fan page over there, which is called the We Turned Out Okay podcast on Facebook. And I wanted to leave you today with an iTunes review. So if you are, I'm just getting into my phone, which is why I paused there. Uh, if you like this show and you feel like other old school parents are going to like it as well, one of the best things you can do is you can go to iTunes and you can rate it and you can review it. I'd love an honest review. I'd love to hear what you think about my ideas and uh, it, you know how, how they can help if you think they can help your child or you you know worry less and enjoy more. Um, if you do feel like that, please share about it. Um, an iTunes review is is the best way to you know kind of get this podcast in front of other eyeballs. So the review I'm going to read today, um, I, I, I love it. It's very short and sweet. Um, it just, the title is Great Podcast. It's by Trois Garçons, which means three boys. So I'm going to guess that whoever this person is, Trois Garçons, you must have three boys, right? Because that's three boys in French. And it says, it's so simple and sweet, fun to listen, and a great resource for parents. Well, thank you so much, Trois Garçons. <laughs> I appreciate that so much. Um, I'm glad I'm really I'm glad it's it's a great resource, but I'm especially glad that it's fun because that's what I want. I want I don't think we would keep coming back if it wasn't fun. In fact, today's I feel like today's podcast was a lot of like, you got to do this, you know, hammering at home. But um, and so I guess sometimes it has to be that way. But for the most part, we are having a lot of fun over here because childhood is fun and raising kids can be fun. And I'm going to leave you with that, I think. Thank you so much for having me in your ears today. I really, really appreciate it. I think more than I can say, the responses I've got and I am getting from this podcast are just, oh gosh, they're so special to me. I want to give you all a big hug (laughs) for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I have a special thanks to the man who must have been an awfully adorable kindergartner, the 18-time winner of the Husband of the Year Award, Benjamin Culp. Thank you for listening, everybody. We will see you next time. for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want to take to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. I want to pee in the woods. Derp, 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 derp,